Good morning and welcome to Everyday Law. I am your host, Bob Park. We have one of our returning champions from numerous episodes previously, my law partner, Alan W. Steinhorn. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you. It's nice being here. We're going to try and get back to basics for a while here. We've had a number of interesting guests on topics like the death penalty and on whistleblower environmental matters. We do have the state treasurer, Nancy Kopp, coming up on the next show. We originally tried to emphasize basic understanding for the students, faculty, and employees of Howard County Community College of day-to-day legal things, thus the name Everyday Law. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what to do if you are in an accident. There is a caveat that anything that is said on the show is not intended to be legal advice. Any opinions that are offered are not those of Howard County Community College, its employees, staff, or students. And with that, welcome back to the show, Alan. What does one do if one is in a car or truck accident? Well, it's an unnerving circumstance, and hopefully you're not terribly hurt. But the first and most important thing is your safety. You need to make sure you're safe. So as soon as this matter is over, check yourself out. Are you injured? Call 911. Have someone else call 911. If there are passengers in your car, see if they are injured. If you are able to move your car and it's safe to do so, you may wish to get out of traffic. If you're on a highway, you may have cars buzzing by you at 60 miles per hour. You may not be able to move. If you're in a serious accident, you may not even be able to get out of the car. I will, and in that case, emergency medical personnel should arrive quickly and take you out of the car. But I will mention this, in 36 years of representing injury victims and car accidents. One thing I've learned is that people are reluctant to go into an ambulance or to call an ambulance. Normally people are in shock when they are first injured in a car accident. Their adrenaline kicks in. And for some reason, our initial instinct is to say, I'm fine. But if you are feeling pain, you should go to the hospital. There are other things that you should do when you're in a car accident. And one of them is to gather information. If you are able to, you'll need to get the at-fault driver's driver's license number, his name, his address. Cell phones are available to everyone. You can take a picture. You can take a picture of the insurance card. But the one thing that you should do is stay safe. If you have to, move your car onto the shoulder of the road. Take pictures if you can, but don't do anything that affects your safety. Now, Bob, you were house counsel for major insurance companies. Did you find that when people were hurt in car accidents, they would turn down ambulance rides? All the time. What do you think that is? Personally, I think it's a little bit of evolutionary biology that long before there were cars or cell phones, if people got injuries, they kind of had to get up and limp off or carry themselves off or get to safety on their own. And it's a different world now, but there's still on a fundamental biological level, some instinct. I mean, I've seen so many of these cases where somebody you know, falls in a mall and breaks their leg. And the first thing they do, even though they have a broken leg, is try and get up and walk away. So my experience is exactly what you suggest, and that is people are disinclined to go away in an ambulance. They don't think they need it. They're going to be late to work. They're going to be late to picking up their kid at daycare. It is an issue, and the problem with it all is if you don't leave the scene in an ambulance, you will someday be asked why you didn't if you were so hurt. That is true. Another thing I have found is that people are initially most concerned about their car, and a year later... You'll look back on this and say, well, it was pretty easy to get my car fixed. It was pretty easy to get my car towed. 
What's not easy is to fix your body. So it's very important that you pay attention to what happened to the body. Oftentimes, people don't really feel their pain of an injury in a car accident until a day or two later. Doctors will tell you this, and it's because it takes a day or two for your muscles to become swollen. Medical term is inflammation. And once those muscles become swollen, the public calls it a whiplash injury. It's really medical terms would be a hyperflexion extension injury, where what you're doing is you're moving your head or your body very quickly in a way it was not intended to move. So if you overstretch the muscles in your neck or your back, it may take 24 hours for that pain to fully evolve. So while you might feel okay in the first hour or two, over the next several hours, you may notice neck and back pain. It's very important that you seek medical attention for that kind of an injury. If you leave it alone, maybe in a year or two, you'll be okay, maybe. But if you get the proper medical care, maybe in six, eight, 12 weeks, you'll be fully recovered and feeling better, be able to go to work and participate in your activities and enjoy your vacation time. But if you don't get medical care, perhaps you'll be fine, perhaps not. It's important for your health to get proper medical care. As an attorney that handles these cases, it's also important for your case. So I don't ever encourage anyone to get medical care unless they are injured, unless they are hurting and the pain doesn't go away in a couple of days. If you don't get medical care, it's hard to present your claim for an injury. So it's important that you take care of your safety first at the scene. It's important that you collect all information about the at-fault driver, and that includes driver's license number, name, address, and telephone number. We need to know the insurance company for the at-fault driver. So everyone is required by law to have an insurance card in their car. Get a photo of that. Make sure you don't leave the scene without that information. If you are seriously hurt, you may leave the scene in an ambulance. You won't be able to get that information. A police officer will likely give you that information. A lawyer can help you with this if you need help with this claim. If you have a serious injury, and this is self-serving, but you should call a lawyer. Insurance companies are not your friends. They will tell you they aren't your friend. Because when people are nice to us, we are cooperative. But one of the problems in a Maryland car accident, and it doesn't exist in 44 other states, is the legal doctrine of contributory negligence. What, it is a is drac that? It's a draconian theory in that under the theory of contributory negligence, which is currently the law in Maryland, the District of Columbia, and Virginia, but not in the rest of the country. There are other couple of states that have it. What it says is if a person is making a claim for damages, such as in a car accident, you cannot recover any money if you have contributed to cause the collision. And that is up to a jury to decide. So for example, if the speed limit is 35 miles per hour, and a car pulls out of a side street, runs a stop sign, and you crash into it. If you were to tell the insurance company that caused you, I was going 45 miles per hour, and let's say the speed limit there is posted at 35, even though you might be seriously injured by the negligence of a party that pulls in front of you from a side street, you might find the insurance company denying your claim by saying you were speeding, and your speeding contributed to cause the accident. And maybe that speeding had a 5% additional cause of the collision. Under Maryland law, a jury could find you're entitled to nothing. Whereas in most of the country, we have something called comparative negligence. And if a jury felt that your speeding caused or contributed to an accident by 5%, then at the end of the case, the jury is asked, how much did the driver contribute to cause the collision? And if the jury says 5% and they award you $100,000, under a comparative negligence jurisdiction, 
the judge would reduce your award by that 5%. In Maryland, it reduces that award to zero. So insurance companies benefit by trying to find anything the driver did wrong. So after you've got yourself safe, made sure your passengers are safe, moved your car to a safe place if it's in an unsafe place, and you can safely do so. Put out flares if you can to make sure no one hits you. Call 911 or the police at a non-emergency number if it's a non-emergency. Get medical care out there immediately if you're hurt. Collect information from the at-fault driver if you can. And then next, make sure you get the proper medical care and make sure you deal with the insurance company, the at-fault insurance company, with the knowledge they're trying to defeat or diminish the value of your claim. You may wish to call and you should call your own insurance company to report the accident. We can also go into your PIP benefits, your coverage as to whether you could get your own insurance company to fix your car quickly, and how you make a claim against the at-fault driver's insurance. But one of the things I'll tell you about claims is the at-fault insurance company is not your friend. They will try and get you to say something that suggests you contributed to cause the accident so they don't have to pay you any money. They're going to be nice to you. We're not very cooperative with people that are mean to us. So they may tell you, we want to help you. Can you tell us what happened? Now, I'll give you a reason why I'm cynical about dealing with at-fault insurance company representatives. When I was house counsel to the Geico Insurance Company back in the late 1980s, I was responsible for defending the lawsuits filed against Geico Insurers in the District of Columbia and in Maryland. And I once had a lawsuit I was defending, which seemed very, very apparent that it should be settled, but no offer was ever made on the case. It was clear liability, not a big case, maybe a $15,000 claim, but the claim was denied early in the claim hand which meant that the victim got nothing, had to file a lawsuit to get any compensation. So when I got the lawsuit and reviewed the file, I called the claims rep. The claims rep had only been working at Geico for a couple months when this person was injured and the claim was assigned to him. One of the things that claims representatives do is they call the injured victim to take a statement. When they called this victim, the claims rep, inexperienced at this, said, hi, how are you doing? And the person said, I'm fine. How are you? At that moment, the Geico claims rep wrote no injury because the person said, fine. That's an instinctive response. Hi, how you doing? I'm fine. I mean, I've said, hi, how you doing to a person with a broken leg? And they say, fine. So a claim was denied because a person was cordial in a phone call with a claims representative and he had to hire a lawyer and he had to file a lawsuit. So this is an egregious example. It's very rare that someone like a claims rep would deny a claim because someone answered by saying, hi, I'm fine. But regardless, you must keep in mind that the person calling you from the at-fault insurance company is really trying to get you to admit to something that may make your injury less valuable to the insurance company, or that the liability is in question because maybe you contributed to it. So maybe during childbirth, 12 years ago, you had some back pain, and the insurance company who's evaluating your back pain claim says, well, have you ever had a back pain? And when you say, yeah, when my child was born 12 years ago, aha, says the insurance company. This person has prior history of back pain. These kinds of things may seem ridiculous to you, but this is what an insurance company is seeking to do. So when you file a claim, just be aware that they're trying to get information against you that will harm your claim. Sounds like it's something that also brings home how helpful it is to have a lawyer, because as I understand it, once you have a lawyer, the insurance company for the at-fault driver or at-fault drivers no longer is allowed to speak to you, but gets all the information through the lawyer. 
So in many respects, if you have any kind of serious injury claim, the quicker you get the lawyer, the less likely it is that they'll draw out some information that's damaging to your claim. Is that true? That's exactly right. If you have a serious injury, I urge you to call a lawyer. You should probably try and find one through a referral from a friend or family member so you'll know whether the person has had a good experience with that lawyer. If you can't find someone through a referral from someone who's previously used the lawyer can say to you, this person is trustworthy, they're hardworking, they're competent, they're experienced, then you want to search for a lawyer perhaps through the internet with a Google search engine or another search engine. What you should be looking for are lawyers that are responsive to you. Are you going to be talking to the lawyer's secretary all the time, the paralegal, or are you going to talk to the lawyer? You want to hire a lawyer who does the kind of case you're calling about. So you may know a real estate lawyer in your neighborhood, but that's not the person to call if you're in a car accident and have a serious injury. You need a lawyer that's had experience with the medical part of your case. And most experienced injury lawyers have learned medicine as part of their job. If I have a case involving a rotator cuff injury, I'm going to be reading articles in medical journals about rotator cuff surgeries. If I've been an experienced lawyer that's handled thousands of cases, most likely I've had rotator cuff injury cases. So when you call me, I probably know doctors that have expertise in shoulder injuries. If you do not know any doctors, your lawyer can help you find a good doctor. Additionally, a lawyer's job is to get you the most compensation that you're legally, honestly, and ethically allowed to have. So you need a lawyer who has experience in insurance law. There are normally three ways you can get compensation when you've been injured in a car accident. Normally, people don't think about their own car insurance, but under your car insurance, many people have PIP coverage, which stands for personal injury protection coverage. This coverage will provide you up to $2,500 in lost wage disability compensation should you be unable to work as a result of your injuries. Just to be clear, you can get more than $2,500 in PIP. That's the minimum. When you That's the minimum amount. Once we complete the PIP payments of $2,500, which can be used for your medical bills or your lost wages, you explore whether you've purchased medical payments coverage. Medical payments coverage can increase your coverage to $5,000 or $10,000 or perhaps more. That medical payments coverage pays all your medical bills. You can also use your health insurance to pay your medical bills. If you have PIP insurance or medical payment insurance, it is duplicative. It is extra you get to keep it. This is one thing that surprises many of my clients and they think that I'm somehow cheating for them. What do you mean I can use my health insurance and my PIP insurance? Well, if my health insurance has paid my bills, why would I get PIP insurance? And the reason is in America, we encourage people to buy insurance. So when you buy health insurance, you're paying for it. When you get PIP insurance, you're paying a premium for it. So occasionally I'll get someone that'll say, well, I don't want to use my PIP insurance because I've already used my health insurance, to which I respond. Well, then call your insurance company up. Tell them you're going to choose not to get a check for $2,500 to reimburse you for medical bills. And ask them if they'll give you your premiums back for the PIP insurance you've paid because you're not going to use it. And of course, they will not. So it's kind of like buying something, buying an umbrella. And then when it rains, not using it. What happens? You get wet. But what happens when you don't use your PIP coverage because your health insurance paid your bills? I can't put $2,500 in your pocket. The Be third clear, way, or more if you have medical, or more if you yeah. have medical payments coverage. I was just going to say, you can get up to $10,000 in PIP 
in Maryland. And sometimes people have policies from other states, New Jersey springs to mind, Delaware, mm -hmm. where they have much larger PIP benefits that are available. So you're in a Maryland car crash and you have a Delaware PIP that's $100,000, you can get $100,000 in PIP payments without having to repay anyone. So being sensitive to what policies of insurance you have or the vehicle owner has, it's a very important aspect of getting the best outcome in these cases, isn't it? You're absolutely right. And I didn't mean to overlook that, but there are exceptions to the $2,500 PIP amount in Maryland. You can purchase usually up to 10,000, that policy could apply. But if you are injured in another state, or if you are injured in Maryland, but have an out-of-state policy, as you say, there could be greater benefits in other states. To give you an example, I represented a woman who was driving in New Jersey. She lived in Maryland. She had a Maryland policy. However, New Jersey has a no-fault law, which allows you up to $250,000 in medical payments coverage if you're injured in a car accident. You are allowed to file a lawsuit if you have a permanent injury as well. In this case, this woman had a very severe injury. She had several surgeries. Her medical bills were about $220,000. New Jersey PIP applied, even though she was a Maryland resident. Her own insurance policy converted to a $250,000 PIP policy, and all of her medical bills were paid by the PIP policy. When we settled her at-fault case, and we were about to file a lawsuit when the insurer made a very reasonable offer, the victim owed none of the medical bills, and she walked away from this accident with several hundred thousand dollars. Had she had to pay the medical bills, it would have reduced her recovery by two-thirds. So it's very important that you explore this, and I don't recommend people who have serious injury cases doing this on their own. I understand it's self-serving to recommend legal services, but it really is important that you have someone who examines your policy, the laws of the state where the collision occurred, and that gets you all of the benefits that you're entitled to, which would include health insurance, PIP, MedPay, and third party. I'd like to mention one other thing that people who don't have lawyers often do that is a mistake. I mentioned earlier that the claims representative from the at-fault insurance company is going to be nice to you when their insured runs a red light, crashes into your car with three babies in it, and causes you serious injury. They will call you and tell you, we're going to help you. We're going to take care of you. And one of the most common questions I have that an insurance company asks the victim, the injured party, is we want to make you whole. Do you have any co-pays you've had to pay? And the person feels relieved. Oh my gosh, I've got over $200 in co-pays and I'm not working. I don't have any money in my savings account. How do I pay these co-pays? Don't worry, says the at-fault insurance company. We're going to take care of all your co-pays. Just send them to me. Well, that's not the law. You might have $200 in copays, but you also might have $6,000 in medical bills. And under Maryland law, DC law, Virginia law, and the law of almost every other state, although I can only tell you about Maryland and DC since that's where I'm licensed, the at-fault party must pay you the full amount of the medical bills, not what your health insurance paid. If you don't have health insurance, you're stuck with these bills. Not what your copays are, the full amount. That's Maryland law. We encourage people to have health insurance. We encourage people to buy as much insurance as possible. So the people that are paying premiums to have this insurance should get the benefit of collecting the benefits. And we don't say to them, you just paid $2,000 last year for your health insurance, but you can't use it because the at-fault party owes you money. 
So all of these benefits can be coordinated and experienced injury lawyer can help you get the most money using all three insurance company policies. One other thing that I was thinking about, you know, you kind of have handling an accident at the scene and you touched on a number of things. There are two things that sometimes seem to crop up in my cases, and that is there are people who come to your aid at the scene and our witnesses, I saw that lady ran the red light kind of thing, who then leave the scene before the police come and you don't have their name and you don't have their cell phone number. And I think a really good practice is to make sure that if you're in a crash and somebody comes and says, I saw it, that you get their name. Maybe you, you ask them if you can take a picture of their tag on their car so you can identify them later or their driver's license or get their cell phone. So many cases I've seen, there are independent witnesses who come to help and then disappear because they want to get to work on time and they don't wait for the police officer and thus they're never reported. So I was going to say, number one, witnesses become an important thing. Even if they come up and say, I saw him, somebody else was at fault. Even if the other driver says they're at fault, later, when you're in a lawsuit over value of your case, somehow the people who are at fault aren't necessarily so responsible at that point in time. The other is sometimes there is value at the scene of taking pictures where the vehicles were immediately after the crash, or whether there were skid marks indicating somebody was going too fast and couldn't stop in time and that sort of thing. Do you have any feelings about either of those issues? Well, that's excellent advice, Bob. If you have tire marks, if you're able to safely photograph the vehicles, I urge you to do that. If you're unable to safely photograph them in the lanes of travel they've moved, photograph the damage on each car. As far as witnesses go, that is extremely important advice you just gave. And I'll give you a quick example. I represent a driver who was coming out of a side street in Baltimore City who was struck by a bus, a Baltimore City bus, a metro bus. Normally, the car that pulls out of the side street is responsible if there's an, a, a collision on the boulevard. It's called the boulevard. Something in Maryland been around for a long time. There are exceptions to it. But after the crash, a passenger bolted out of the bus, ran up to my client, said, are you okay? And she said, yes, I'm shaking up. I, I think I'll be okay. And the person then said this. The bus driver was speeding. After he hit you, he said, oh, my gosh, I thought she was going to turn. I didn't realize she was going straight across the intersection. Well, that witness has just established what caused this collision. My client didn't think to get that witness name. Um, so we're trying to get the videotape from the bus, but there, this just happened. There could be a problem with her pulling out of a side street and having this collision occur. If we had the witness's name, that witness would establish why this collision occurred and that it was the bus driver's fault. So yes, witnesses are extremely important. It's very difficult immediately after a collision to think through these things. But if you can remember what we're saying, safety, information, police, medical help, try and remember those things. I wonder if there is some kind of checklist that could be created in response to any inquiries. I know I actually wrote a book that we have on our website that talks about all of these issues in some detail, but a book isn't so handy at the scene as having a checklist. So maybe that's something we should, we should work on for future. You know, I think that's a great idea. Perhaps we can put together a little card with a checklist and we'll put it on our website that people could download. The things that we are talking about today, most of this is in the book, The 17 Secrets the Insurance Companies Don't Want You to Know About Your Car or Truck Accident. If anyone wants a free copy of that book, they can go to maryland-law.com and just, 
I guess it's upload a copy of the book or request a paperback copy. So it covers a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. It does. The one thing I will say is unless you've been in an accident before and understand this, it's almost like a chaotic circumstance at first. And many people are shaken up. Some people suffer mild concussions from the mere fact that your head goes forward and back rapid. Most people don't, but you can suffer a concussion that way. Anytime the brain strikes the interior of the skull, that's a concussion. And it can create symptoms depending on the severity of it. So it's a little bit confusing, but the most important thing is safety. Call 911. And also, it is important to have police there. If you've had a serious accident, that police report will contain information that will be helpful to you and your attorneys in the future. Many people are very hopeful. Perhaps it's wishful thinking. It's the human condition to hope we're going to be fine. But if you're not fine in the days and weeks thereafter, our advice now is very important. So you have at the scene and then you have in the immediate aftermath when you're trying to get your car fixed, get a rental car, get your PIP, get your healthcare provider and that sort of thing. What's the next phase after that? Well, the first thing is to take care of your health. And if you have a serious injury case, a lawyer should be involved. The lawyer will collect the medical bills and the medical reports and will keep the insurance company updated as to the nature of your injuries. Insurance companies are required by law to set reserves for each case that is reported to them. Reserves simply means they set aside an amount of money to pay you when your claim is ready to be resolved. Otherwise, insurance companies would take the tens of millions of dollars they get at premiums each year and invest in casinos and real estate and businesses and never have enough money to pay their claims. And that is how insurance companies make most of their money. They take the money you pay in premiums and they invest it. However, they're required to set aside money for your claim. If it turns out that you have a herniated disc in your back and you're going to end up needing surgery, if you don't tell them that and a year later you write a letter to the insurance company and say, I had back surgery, I'm demanding $300,000 for my claim, it will be harder for them to get the money than if you have periodically updated them and told them in the first month after the collision, I'm having pain shooting down my legs. I'm having trouble walking upstairs. I'm going to see an orthopedic doctor. My orthopedic doctor says I need an MRI scan, magnetic resonance imaging scan, to see whether I have herniated discs if I've damaged my spine. I have to see a neurologist to examine whether I might need surgery. I have to see a neurosurgeon to see whether or not the surgery would help me. I have to make arrangements with a hospital to have an operation. If you are constantly updating the insurance company, they are more easily able to get you a larger amount of money to settle your case. And perhaps at some point they say to you, as they've said to me, Mr. Steinhorn, we've been receiving the medical bills, the reports. We have the picture of your, or the x-ray of your client's instrumentation in his lumbar spine. We have all the medical reports. We have a $100,000 policy. We'd like to offer it to you now. And that might help the person who's hurt who hasn't worked in six months. But there's a variety of considerations that lawyers are familiar with that an injured party is not. And it is highly likely that a personal injury lawyer will get you far more of a recovery than you would on your own, even if you have to pay legal fees associated with it. And let me just add quickly, people sometimes call me and say, I don't know that I have the funds to pay you. Well, in an injury case, medical malpractice case, the lawyers work on a contingency fee, which means they only get paid if they win. If they don't win, the injured party doesn't have to pay any legal fees. And our law firm charges a one-third fee, which is standard in the community although many law firms charge 40% if a lawsuit is filed. Our firm does not, but I don't think I've ever taken a case where I didn't benefit the person 
after the payment of legal fees in terms of the ease and comfort of what happened to them and in terms of they don't have to deal with the insurance companies and they know that they're getting full compensation from every possible source of revenue. So I highly urge people to get attorneys if they have serious injury cases. So I think there are a great many issues that we're not going to have time to cover today, as always. And I sort of feel like we need to come back maybe later this fall for a chapter two discussing, you know, how you get by if you're not working, you know, what your expectations are going to be with respect to the at-fault insurer. And if they have insufficient insurance, how you can go about getting more benefits through your own uninsured or underinsured policy. The interplay of social security disability in serious cases, workers' comp, there's a lot of issues in these injury cases. So when you're in an accident, there's an awful lot to think about. And a lot of times, the best way to ensure that you get the maximum economic compensation is to have a lawyer who knows what they're doing analyze all the different avenues and give you the best advice they can. I couldn't agree with you more. I'll just leave you with this thought. Look at the reviews for the law firms that you are researching. See what former clients say about the lawyers. Do they return calls prompt? Do they give you the information? Are they knowledgeable? Are they experienced? Have they done these kinds of cases? And are they honest? And probably most importantly, do they care about you? And you'll be able to tell if they care about you by how promptly they return your calls and how they try and help you. Lawyers that do this kind of work know doctors, they know expert witnesses that can help you, they know ways to help you with situations that are probably the very first time you've had to experience them. We've handled this hundreds, if not thousands of times, and can give you options and choices that you might not be aware of to help make this circumstance easier for you. Thank you very much, Alan. I think it's time we wind up. Appreciate your coming on and talking about this. This has been Everyday Law with your host, Mark. Farewell. Connect with us. We are Dragon Digital Radio.